Well, I have the pleasure today of meeting with and speaking with Dr. Lisa Davidson, uh, who leads a lot of our infectious disease programs, more so our antibiotic stewardship, but also infectious disease uh, efforts here at Atrium Health. And I wanted to ask her some questions, and I'm sure you want to hear this too. Dr. Davidson, first of all, thank you for being here and, and sharing your opinions on Get in the Know with the, your CMO. I really appreciate it. Would you mind telling us a little bit about who you are? Sure. Thanks so much for having me today. So I'm Lisa Davidson. I'm the medical director of antimicrobial stewardship here at Atrium Health. I've been with Atrium Health since 2012. I have the pleasure of being part of the infectious disease division of Atrium Health. And um, as Dr. Dre mentioned, my role really in the coronavirus outbreak has been to help coordinate efforts around empiric treatment of patients with uh, COVID. Yeah, I mean, right now our teammates are hearing all kinds of information, whether it's uh, via social media, whether it's some newscast of people that really shouldn't be commenting on this material. But so I wanted us, especially from the healthcare community, to hear directly from you. What is the current evidence on treatments for COVID-19? So I think the key word actually is evidence. Yeah. Um, and to the point that many of us are getting our knowledge from sources such as Twitter, social media, um, the regular news, and much of that evidence to date is really not to the quality that we are used to. Um, there has been a big push to get evidence and publications in the public spectrum very quickly, which is commendable, but everyone needs to know that that evidence really isn't up to the standards that we would normally recommend. And so even in some of our really top-notch journals like JAMA and the New England Journal of Medicine, those studies are studies that need to be evaluated uh, with a big sort of asterisk mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. understand that they are really things that are maybe more anecdotal or observational. Um, there have been some small um, randomized control trial, but even those have, you know, really some issues with them. So if there's a message that I can get out there is that there's definitely, um, I think, in this setting of this disease, which is literally changing day by day, right. and every day we're learning new things, everyone needs to understand that we need to have a little patience when it comes to the treatment side because it is really evolving and evolving quickly um, and we're learning a lot. Well, I mean, we're making those fluid decisions based on the most available uh, evidence and we're using experts like yourself to help guide the best decisions we can based on what's out there. We're not using antidotes to help guide this and, and, and it is incredibly fluid. Yeah, I think one of the things we're actually the most cautious about is some of the agents that are we're recommending, and I'll get to that in a second, yeah. actually have some significant side effects. Right. So at every point in time, we need to weigh risk versus benefits. Mm -hmm. um, and right now, you know, we all want to do the best we can for our patients and try to help them. And we don't, you don't have those tools. People get really anxious. And so we want to try everything, but we have to remember that we need to make sure that we don't harm our patients as well. That's such a great point. Our, 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 our dictum in, in medicine is first, do no harm. Exactly. And so from that standpoint, even though we feel like it's a sense of wanting to do something, right. taking a breath, taking the time and, and thinking through it and allowing others to help guide this does make a difference. It doesn't mean we're not acting. Sometimes that time is preparation to make the best action. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really want everyone to know that 
one of the things that I'm personally working on with other system mm -hmm, leaders mm -hmm. is tr try to coordinate those recommendations across the system. So yeah. working with ED, critical care, pediatrics, right. hospitalists, really to make sure that we have good communication about what our recommendations for this week are. Sure. And they change two to three times a week and trying to communicate that as best we can. As everybody knows in our system, it's wonderful, we have so many experts and that's a blessing, mm -hmm. but it's also really hard to communicate those recommendations, which is right. one of the reasons we wanted to come today. So we are really trying to take everybody's input and answer everybody's questions, but also incorporate the leadership from the different experts we have. So what you're saying is, the malaria prophylaxis I took last fall that I have some residual leftover from, I shouldn't really be yeah, using Yeah, don't do that. Okay. So let me jump into the recommendations <laughs> as we stand. <laughs> so the big one that everybody probably is aware of is the recommendation for hydroxychloroquine. Um, so as everyone's probably most familiar with hydroxychloroquine, it's what we typically use for malaria prophylaxis. Um, the concern with hydroxychloroquine is that there are significant side effects. Most concerning is prolongation of QTC mm. and predisposition to cardiac arrhythmias. Um, so the other thing is that the data that has come out on this has really been limited to patients who are moderate to severely ill. Mm -hmm, so we mm -hmm. don't really have good data that has come out yet on mild illness. So for now in our system, we are really targeting hydroxychloroquine therapy to patients that are admitted to the hospital. In that when you look at risk stratification scores that have been published mm -hmm. or other literature, the benefit, if there is any, because mm -hmm. it's questionable still, sure. really seems to be in patients who are having progression of illness. Mm -hmm. um, so we do not recommend outpatient therapy with hydroxychloroquine. We do not recommend it in mild disease. So if you're not in the hospital, we are not recommending hydroxychloroquine therapy. Um, for patients that are in the hospital, we are getting a baseline EKG mm -hmm. to make sure that they don't have any underlying dysrhythmias or other cardiac conditions that would predispose mm -hmm. them to any cardiac issues. Mm -hmm. um, and most importantly, we do not recommend co-administration of hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin. Now this topic- See, look at that. Okay. Yeah, this is really super controversial. There was a really small study, observational study that was published. It did have a placebo group and it had a um, small double therapy group and single therapy group. It was a highly flawed study, mm. but it got a lot of press because right. this is the age of social media. Right. And in our opinion, this is ED, ID, cardiology, toxicology, the risk of hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin coverage together, those risks are super high. Got it. So number one, we don't recommend that double coverage. Mm -hmm. Number two, we are actually recommending that for patients with community-acquired pneumonia who are being ruled out for COVID infection, <laughs> that you do not give azithromycin for community-acquired pneumonia. So we've actually, as of yesterday, taken azithromycin off of all the CAP power plans. Um, mm. We've suppressed that because because the risk of uh, toxicity is high and the likelihood of an atypical pneumonia is low. Right, and so for those listeners that may not be part of our atrium system, when you say CAP power plans, what, what yes. that sort of general recommendations, you wanna clarify that yeah. for just in general? So in the ATS IDSA community acquired pneumonia recommendations that came out early or last fall, uh, the empiric treatment of patients who are admitted with community acquired pneumonia is generally uh, ceftriaxone with azithromycin. Mm -hmm. 
we do not, so therefore now in, in the setting of this epidemic, we're asking you to hold the azithromycin. Okay. The azithromycin's for atypical coverage, so organisms like Mycoplasma or Legionella, and the incidence of those is pretty low. Okay. At Atrium Health, as part of our current lab protocol, when you get tested for COVID-19, you're also getting tested for a respiratory pathogen panel, which has the majority of those atypicals on it. And a lot of hospitals use those screening processes and procedures. So if you were COVID-19 negative, but positive for mycoplasma, we'd be able to add back in that atypical coverage. So a stepwise approach. Yes, exactly. Using data and and truly lab proven uh, reasons to treat. Yeah. Go ahead. The other thing I want to mention is, um, if you are on a patient, if you have a patient who's being admitted and you think therapy is needed at Atrium Health, we've restricted hydroxychloroquine to infectious diseases and rheumatology. Um, so if you want to start it, please get a baseline EKG and then also consult ID. Well, and I think this is critically important because you know we don't know much about this disease. And for for the listeners, this is being recorded on April first. Uh, uh, 2020. So if you hear this uh, two weeks out and there were other recommendations, keep in mind that Dr. Davidson is giving this on the evidence based as of today. And because there may be other things that pop up and that will help modify what we recommend or what you will recommend. So there's other things that have been published. So one of the um, agents that was used widely in China was remdesivir, which Mm -hmm. is an antiviral. We are waiting for that company to get back to us on expanded access. Um, there's been such an international request for this drug. They're, fi- they're trying to figure out how to actually disperse that. Did um, it have uh, success though? It had success in China. Yeah. It's probably one of the more successful agents because it's a targeted antiviral. Okay. But again, we're still really waiting for those studies to come out. Sure. There's a number of national trials that are happening. We can get it, um, and it can be used by compassionate use for pediatrics and pregnant patients. Okay. So if you do have a pediatric patient or pregnant patient, okay. you can apply for com- compassionate access use. Got it. Got it. Um, if you don't, if you're an inpatient and you don't have access to hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine, Kalitra was another agent that's been used early on. Mm -hmm. That's controversial because there was a study in the New England Journal of Medicine that didn't show benefit. There's actually been some revision and reevaluation of that data, um, and it may have some benefit, so it's a third-line agent, and that's why we currently still have it listed on our um, recommendation sheet. Uh, there's a lot of interest right now in convalescent serum. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's kind of the hot topic of right. the week. People want to give uh, plasma <laughs> right. phoresis all over. Yeah, right, or exactly. Get, yeah. So um, incredibly complex, right? Because <laughs> right. you've got it. And the Red Cross is actually working on the donor side. Right. Um, so if you have people out there who want to be donors, they can contact the Red Cross. Great. But the actual getting it from the Red Cross into our patient population is, in, I mean, plasmapheresis, administration, screening. Antibody screening. And exactly. it's not just antibodies right. related to coronavirus. Right. You've got to, yeah. yeah. And at the end of the day, even once we go through that process, every patient has to have an IND, which is a FDA regulatory submission that oh. we need to do because they're treating this as an experimental biologic. Right. So huh. we at Atrium Health are in the process of putting together, we have a committee that's working on it. We're looking at it, mm-hmm. but it's, it's really complex. Sure. And again, this is based on what I consider to be anecdotal data. Um, and, you know, we'll see where that goes. Well, so you've given us sort of the, the first line, second line, third line treatments per current state. 
And if others, especially our Atrium Health teammates, want to look this up, this is actually printed out and available where? Yes. So in um, the guidance that we have online for Atrium Health, there's a section that is called, um, I think it's called Three Worlds. It's like treatment, okay. but there's the treatment section. Yeah. And underneath that, we update this usually at least twice a week. Mm -hmm. And you'll see our latest guidance, which is COVID-19 treatment guided for adults and pediatric patients. Okay. Um, and we update the document bi-weekly. On that document is all the information you need to know. Uh, all these agents are restricted to infectious diseases at Atrium Health. So if you have a patient that you feel needs treatment, uh, that you start with an ID consultation sure. and then we work with you to give you the appropriate therapy. Um, I will say the other thing that's on there, which is incredibly useful, is those patients who um, are being admitted, we have guidance on labs, and live this week, we mm. have um, a COVID-19 lab and diagnostic test power plan. Good. So those are labs we think would be important to monitor in patients who have COVID-19 and have been admitted. It's a pretty large lab set. Two reasons for that. One, we're basing what's been published in the literature mm -hmm. and also looking what protocols other large medical centers have published and are mm -hmm. using. And we've taken all the data that's out there, um, have it reviewed by our different subject matter experts, and that's what we have in our power plan. So you're using the world literature, uh, what's published and unpublished. You're, call, you're, you're discussing these with your colleagues throughout the country and throughout the world who are experts in the field and you're trying to keep us as current as possible. Absolutely, um, and both for adults and pediatrics. So that's a yeah. change that I want to mention coming up later this week is we're gonna be separating those out. So there'll Good. be an adult guidance and a pediatric guidance. Wonderful. Well, this is incredibly uh, helpful and informative. So I do wanna ask you a couple more questions. Sure. This is not only uh, professionally taxing, it's also personally challenging us having to deal with uh, COVID-19 in our workplace as well as in our communities. How do you see the morale of your teammates during this, uh, this pandemic? So I think the morale of my teammates um, is good. I think everybody really wants to do the best they can. Mm -hmm. They want to support each other. Um, I always say my favorite thing about working at Atrium Health are the people that I work with every day. Mm -hmm. They are amazing people. Uh, I think really as a community, everyone's trying to support each other as best we can. I, I, I would agree with that. And then finally, what advice would you give to our treatment, our treating providers, our patients, our teammates who um, are trying to go through this together with us? Yeah, so I've been working um, with this cognitive behavioral therapy group on a personal level for yeah. the last two years. It's called dialectical behavioral therapy. Uh -huh. And I love it because it really tries to sort of help you think Put yourself in the other pe person's shoes, the person that you're interacting with. Right. And try, and the, the like, number one tenet of that is everyone is always trying to do the best they can at this moment. So even though we're all trying to do the best we can, we're also all stressed, we're all anxious, we're worried about our personal health, we're worried about doing a good job. Am mm -hmm. I doing a good job? Am I taking care of my family? And so when you're interacting with another person, I feel like, and they're stressed, right? Because we might have a disagreement or we might feel differently. The first thing as I always say is, I wanna look at that person and say, this person is doing the best that they can in this moment. Mm -hmm. And also to have self-compassion for yourself. I, in this moment, am trying to do the best that I can and really start with that place. So when I'm home with my kids and they're not doing what I want them to do, I try to remember that this is stressful for them too. Sure. And you know, if they're not 
always doing the thing that I would like them to. Let's try to focus on the thing that they can do right now. Yeah. If I'm working with a colleague who's, I might have a disagreement with, I'm trying to remember that they're doing this with their best intention. Um, I feel like there's a lot of emailing we're all doing and sometimes that gets really stressful. And so I also sometimes try to pick up the phone and have a conversation because it's just actually a better way of connecting with people too. You're so right. What, what great advice. So thank you very much, Dr. Davidson, for getting us current on uh, treatment guidelines, but also sharing those uh, sage words of wisdom that we can all apply. Uh, stay safe and yes. thank you. Thanks everybody for listening today and stay safe. Thank you for joining us for this podcast of Get in the Know with Your CMO. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. Please join us again as we interview medical staff members, teammates, and other leaders 